Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on this hump day. You remember that Geico commercial back today? The, the camel, the hump day commercial. Anyways, that's what it is. We're in the middle of the week. Very excited to be here. It's championship weekend, conference championship weekend, which means a special edition of Bryson's Best 10. Uh, normally, throughout the, the course of the season, I am ranked my top 10 teams in the NFL. And even last week, I did my top eight teams left in the NFL in the playoffs. But there's only four. And I figured if I ranked my top four teams, that would almost reveal my pick. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to instead, excuse me, I'm going to instead rank my top 10 players still left in the playoffs. There's a lot of superstars, some quarterbacks. There's some uh, some some receivers, some defensive players. So definitely stay tuned in for that. In about 45 minutes, Bryson's Best 10 NFL Player Playoff Edition. Very excited about that. My top 10 players left in the postseason. Also, carving up the context revolves around Kevin Durant, who says he's, why should he be in the greatest all-time of all-time discussion? He's like, man, you talking about LeBron, talking about Jordan, Kobe, and, and Kareem, and Magic Johnson? What about me? What about the Slim Reaper? Obviously, he's dead wrong. That, that goes without saying. But a key component that he's discussing, or not that he's discussing, but that I saw through what he said, or that even the conversation around it, and I'm like, we are really missing an element of this. At times, in the GOAT, in the GOAT discussion, we can often be kind of inconsistent on that. I'll talk about that in about a half hour. We're going to get into Kevin Durant on carving up the context. Why the Chiefs have literally no pressure going to AFC title game weekend. None. Not an ounce. That at the end of the show. Also going to get into Joel Embiid dropping 70. And I don't care. But first, uh... So the Milwaukee Bucks fired Adrian Griffin, their head coach, yesterday, uh, despite a 30-13 and 13 start to the year, uh, despite the fact that Adrian Griffin's been a guy, this is a rookie head coach, this, this he's taken over a team that obviously has championship aspirations. They showed you that by getting Damian Lillard, bringing him in to appease Giannis, to keep Giannis in Milwaukee, really. I remember talking about that in August when the trade, or August or September when that trade was made, and I'm like, yeah, this is just to keep Giannis, not just because Dame isn't a great player, but this is to keep Giannis in a small market Milwaukee town. And Adrian Griffin's gone 43 games in, despite being 30-13. and 13. Um, and promptly this morning, it is announced after a lot of speculation and not just speculation, I'm sure very, very good reporting, elite reporting last night that Doc Rivers was the front runner to get the job in Milwaukee. And as it turned out this morning, he did get the job. He was hired as the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. So not only is Adrian Griffin's Bucks tenure short, Doc Rivers ESPN tenure is short. He was going to be along with the great Mike Breen and Doris Burke to call the finals. And uh, now that's off the table. So uh, I, I guess it's going to be a two-person booth with, with Mr. Breen and, and Miss Burke. So shout out to both of those uh, individuals and to Doc as well for taking the job. More on Doc, because I really want to focus on him a little later. As for Adrian Griffin, as for the Milwaukee Bucks, they made the right decision. He, he, he had to go. And when you're talking about an Eastern Conference where Boston, I think, is a clear front runner. I'm not going to say they're the odds-on favor. They're the overwhelming favorite. It would be stunning to the basketball world if they don't make the finals, but it would be nothing short of a colossal disappointment, barring injury, knock on wood, if Boston were to miss the NBA Finals this year. Last year, they, they are down 3-0. They come back on uh, Miami, end up losing that Game 7. They had gotten to the Finals and lost to my Warriors the year before. This feels like a gradual process for Boston. They had controversy at head coach with with uh, um, uh, Ime Odoka. 
Then they bring in Joe Mazzula, who kind of looks in over his head. He wasn't initially going to be sort of the guy to succeed Ime Odoka. That was the guy who went to uh, to Utah to be their head coach. So instead, it's Joe Mazzula. He looks in over his head. So what do they do? They bring in a guy, and an assistant coach in Sam Cassell. They get Drew Holiday from the Bucks. They have, and Chris Porzingis bosses the favorite. Philadelphia gets the albatross out of their organization, this James Harden, and they look unbelievable. More on Joel Embiid in the second segment, and they're very well coached now with Nick Nurse. And who knows, maybe they make another deal at the deadline to continue to get better. I don't know if you saw the Miami Heat did yesterday. They traded for a guy in Terry Rozier, who's about a 20-point-per-game average guy. Plus, and by the way, we know Miami, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Eric Spolstra, they're going to be deep into the playoffs before it's all said and done. Don't even forget a team like the New York Knicks, led by Jalen Brunson, who is not a superstar, but can win you a playoff series and make things uncomfortable in a second-round series. And here's Milwaukee. Well, Bryson, they got the second-best record in the Eastern Conference. This, my friends, is why I say the great Bill Parcells, who I quote often in the show, one of the few quotes that I disagree with, and I've talked about this often on Carving It Up, that you are what your record says you are. That's not the case in Milwaukee. They are not the second-best team in the Eastern Conference. As a matter of fact, it's currently constructed. Had Adrian Griffin stayed, I think they get knocked out in round one. Whether it's in Atlanta, whether it's somebody else slips down the line, whether it's Orlando, Indiana literally owns, literally owns the Milwaukee Bucks. They've won four out of five against them this season. So, would have been shocked if it had been a second round or a first, second straight first-round exit for the Milwaukee Bucks. Why was it the right decision, though? Well, a number of factors. But starting first and foremost... This is going to sound weird, but the vibes sucked in Milwaukee. Like, I mean, really bad. Boston, yeah, vibes seem good. Yeah, let's take care of business the regular season. Let's go win a championship in the playoffs and prove all the doubters wrong. Philadelphia, Harden's out of the building. New coach, vibes are great. Embiid's never been better. Maxie's never been better. Tobias Harris has never been better as the third option. The bench guys, yeah, great vibes in Philadelphia. Vibes are always great in Miami. That's the Heat culture. Vibes are great in New York. I would say great, very good in New York. They could use another star, but they're good. Like, Knicks fans, they've seen a lot worse in the last decade or tried five decades, but they understand what, what, what good and, and great and bad basketball looks like. They're playing good basketball. Out West, Nuggets, vibes are great. Minnesota, great. OKC, great. All the contenders. That was the reason Milwaukee wasn't one of them. Remember, almost to the day, literally almost to the day. Remember eight years ago, I can't believe it's been this long, when the Cleveland Cavaliers fired David Blatt, despite the fact that they were, I mean, the records, at the time of season, the record's almost identical. The Cavs were 30-11, and 11, coming off of a finals appearance in which they didn't have Love or Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving, took Golden State six games, a 67-win Warriors team, six games. They start the next year, 30-11, and 11, and they fire their head coach. Why? Body language by the Cavs, LeBron, Kyrie sucked. LeBron would openly, we have multiple sources on this. LeBron would openly, and Kyrie at times, but especially LeBron being the basketball savant he is, would openly push back against play calls made by the head coach. Now, listen, maybe I'm ignorant and that's more common than, than I'm aware of, but that's not something that they put out publicly if it's just normal and commonplace. How many times did we see Giannis in the huddle? We saw videos of him drawing up plays. There were reports that Giannis would openly change plays uh, on the court, on the fly, bucking what Adrian Griffin said. There's reports Damian Lillard didn't love what was going on with Adrian Griffin. And really, the, the, the precursors for what was going to occur started before the season. 
Remember when Adrian Griffin put a sta- uh, his staff together and he brought in Terry Stotts? Now, Terry Stotts coached Damian Lillard in Portland. So you understand those two have a relationship there. I, I have no reason to believe they don't get along great. Uh, or at least fine, uh, you know, on a, you know, f- from that perspective and standpoint. During training camp, it's kind of like Leslie Frazier in Buffalo is a very weird situation. Out of nowhere in training camp, Terry Stotts is dismissed as an assistant coach. Like, oh, well, what happened here? And reports are some disagreements with him and the head coach. You have disagreements with Giannis and the head coach. You have disagreements with Dame and the head coach. You see the body language. I mean, I remember when Milwaukee, listen, Indiana's won four or five against them, but remember when Milwaukee lost to Indiana in uh, that in-season tournament semifinal game in Vegas? And there were all the reports about the Bucs being just livid in the locker room. And I'm thinking, I didn't talk about it in the show at the time, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm glad they take the in-season tournament this seriously, but like that's the kind of stuff that happens when you go down 3-0 in a series or 2-0 in a series where it's like, guys, what is going on? We got to fix some stuff. There was locker room issues. You needed a change of scenery. This is David Blatt all over again in Cleveland. I don't know if it was that bad. There were some real issues with Blatt and LeBron and Kyrie. I don't know if it was that. And by the way, Tyloo took over. The Cavs won a championship. So obviously the that worked. And Tyloo is an incredible coach. So from that perspective, from a vibes, from a locker room perspective, the Bucs had no choice but to make this move. They had to make this move. Who they replaced him with is another matter. Now, let's start this where we ended what I was talking about with Adrian Griffin. From a locker room perspective, by all accounts, Doc's great. By all accounts, players seem to really like him. I mean, despite what I'm about to get into, what is a very, very stained playoff record, playoff uh, history for Doc Rivers, despite the one championship in 08, got a job in Orlando, got another one in Boston, got another one in LA, and just got another one in Milwaukee. Evidently, he's pretty well respected. So I don't think the issues that was there with Griffin are going to be there with Ty Lue. And then, by the way, can I say this too, before I get to... Um, or with Ty Lue, with the Doc Rivers. I'll say this about Adrian Griffin, then I'll move on because I, I want to be fair. This was his first head coaching opportunity. Like, we've seen individuals get jobs, it doesn't work out, and then they get a second job and they're infinitely better. So I, I hope this isn't like the end of the row for Adrian Griffin because we've seen a lot of head coaches, <clears throat> Mark Jackson, get blackballed by the NBA. I don't want to see that. And he's a better coach than Andrew Griffin, but I still don't want to see that happening to somebody, uh, especially a black coach. We understand the history. Not as much in the NFL, in the NBA as it is with the NFL, but it is still a thing. So I, I do want to clarify that. For Doc Rivers, though, good in the locker room, so that's not going to be an issue. I have no reason to believe that the Bucs, who, by the way, are 28th in defense, 28th in the month of January, 21st in the season overall, are going to get worse under Doc. Because a lot of defense, whatever your personnel is, and Milwaukee has it. I get there's no Drew Holiday. Milwaukee has it. They have Giannis. They have Brooke Lopez, one of the best shot blockers. They have the personnel there to do it. I have a hard reason to believe that that won't get worse because a lot of defense is about effort. It's about intensity. It's about focus, communication. It just wasn't there with the Bucks. Here's the issue. Uh... I don't think I've ever seen a coach in my life, in any sport, get more runway off of one run. So let me put that differently. Off of one championship, which he won with the Celtics in 08. Now, folks are going to say, well, you know, he had the loaded roster. I'm not going to take it right away from Doc. Doc was great in that run. 
I, I listen, I get that KG and at Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, and that great crew in, in Boston. He did a great job, did a heck of a job. And Doc Rivers is not a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. Milwaukee's obviously going to make the playoffs. That goes without saying. All accounts, they'll probably have a, a relatively high seed. I, I would anticipate no lower than, than third. My guess, they'll probably be second to Boston. There is no coach. And I'm dead serious. I'll show you a stat later that's mind-blowing. There's no coach you don't want. Uh, th there's no coach that you want less than Doc Rivers late in a playoff series. We can show you his history. Uh, in late game in, in late game series, so Doc Rivers has blown uh, four three two leads in his history. Okay, see there you go. You see a second round loss against the Orlando Magic in uh, 09. 2010, they lost the finals to the Lakers. Twenty twelve, lost the conference finals to the Heat. Twenty twenty three, this past time in Philadelphia, lost in the second round to the Boston Celtics. Those are the four three two leads he's blown. He also happened to blow a 2-0 lead in 2016 in the first round against Portland. I'll give him a little bit of a pass just because the Clippers dealt with a ton of injuries. Portland was young coming up, Damian Lillard, so I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. What I will not even think about giving him a pass on is the blown 3-1 leads. 0-3 when he was with Orlando, Tracy McGrady's, I'm about to play in the second round. And they blow a 3-1 lead to the Detroit Pistons who go on to the conference finals that year. 2015, Blown second-round lead to the Houston Rockets. They blow a 3-1 lead. Houston makes this crazy comeback in game six with no James Harden on the floor, which, given Harden's history, it's probably a good thing. But the point is, they come back without their best player on the floor, beat them in game six in L.A. Houston goes on to win game seven. That's a second-blown 3-1 lead. And in 2020, in the bubble, this is what cost him his job in L.A. The worst choke job I've ever seen in NBA history. Ever. It surpasses my Warriors in 2016. It surpasses every blown lead in the history of the league. This doesn't. Because the Clippers had the championship aspirations and expectations in 2020. They're up three games to one on a, at the time, a young Denver Nuggets team with Jokic, Murray, young team. They blow a double-digit lead in game five, a double-digit lead in game six, and a double-digit lead in game seven, a game in which they got blown out in. Like, unacceptable <laughs> choke jobs in these playoff series. As bad as that is, or really I shouldn't say as bad as that is, tying into that is how he how he fares in game seven. Folks, this these are his game seven losses at home. 05 lost in the first round of the Pacers. 09 lost in the second round of the Magic. 2017 lost in the first round to Utah. And in 2021, they lost in the second round to a an Atlanta Hawks team that was nowhere near as talented as Philadelphia. Nothing against Trey Young in Atlanta. But when your second best player is Kevin Herter, you should not end up in a conference finals. You just flat out shouldn't. And Herter was the second best player in that series. That's why I'm saying that. And you see Doc's uh, record down there in, in game sevens. He's six and 10. He's horrible in game seven. Let me go full screen for just a second here before I show this last one. Um, by the way, all graphics provided by my man, Alfred Parsar Jr. of the Grid Network. I want to give my man some credit because he, he creates far better graphics than I could ever dream of doing. So shout out to Alfred. Every once in a while, like when I'm doing my research for the shows and different topics, I'm like, okay, I'm compiling these stats and numbers and all this, and let's see what we got here to, to strengthen my argument. And every once in a while, I'd say probably a couple times a month, I'll come across a stat, maybe one time a month, that I see it and I'm like, there's no way that's true. Like I, I actually, in my heart, believe that's there's no way that's actually a fact. 
Yeah, remember the, the the lady in the plane that you know you're not real or it's not real. That's what I feel when I'm looking at the, some of these stats. I'm like that 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 doesn't make sense. Doc Rivers is the head coach. If I can let me make sure I get this right. Doc Rivers is the head coach of the fifth worst team in the NBA. You're like, I I don't follow Bryson. What does that mean? Milwaukee, they got their issues. They're not the fifth worst team in the NBA. Doc Rivers coaching teams. Make sure I get the stat right, okay? Doc Rivers, we can actually put this, go and put this up right now. He's 16 and 33 after getting his third win in a best of seven series. He wins 30, round that up. We can round that up. He wins 33% of the time. So when he gets his third win in a best of seven series, first one to four wins win, uh, wins a series. Doc Rivers is a one third, not even a coin flip bet when he gets his third win of the series to win this series. I saw this at 16. I want to repeat that one more time. Doc Rivers is 16 and 33 after getting his third win in a best of seven series. That doesn't even make sense. Like you're like, you get to the third win. At least you're not going to win them all, obviously, but you get to the third win. You're like, hey, one more and we, we're home. We advance or we win the championship or whatever your situation you're in. Like I saw that. I'm like, that, that can't be real. And I looked at him like, oh my God, it's actually true. So this is, Milwaukee made the right decision in moving on from Adrian Griffin. They needed to. And Doc will fix the locker room stuff, I believe. There's not a coach, Joe Missoula included, because at least now Missoula has Sam Cassell uh, and a better roster than Milwaukee. They're among the contend- contenders or teams that uh, views themselves as a, contenders out, uh, as a contender out east. No, no team has less faith in their head coach. None. And if Milwaukee doesn't, they're about to learn. Or if Milwaukee does, they're about to learn the, the hard way. Uh, Knicks have a better coach with, with uh, shoot, what's his name? Tom Thibodeau. Boston, Joe Mazzulla at least has Sam Cassell, so you have that component onto it. Miami's got the best coach in basketball and Eric Spolstra. I mean, Philadelphia's Nick Nurse. I mean, I, I saw this. I'm like, okay, you just dug your, you just ended your season right there, Milwaukee. I guess it's in your season with guys liking each other, sort of. I don't know. I ain't going to be so happy when they lose in Game 7 to Boston or Miami. I'll tell you that much. My gosh. All right, let's look at the comments here. Let me get a drink of water. And I'm happy for Doc that he got the job. By all accounts, he seems like a good guy, but my Lord. All right, let's look at some comments here. My man, Parnell. Is in the comments. Yeah, great point, Parnell. He says, credit to Stephen A. Smith. If you go back on first take, he has said the Bucks would fire Griffin if Giannis said something. Go back to something Giannis said back on January 6th. Yeah, Giannis said, I remember that, um, Parnell. He said something like, uh, I think it was when they lost the Pacers. He said he thinks about him all times a day, um, including, you know, you know, in, in very intimate details uh, of his personal life. But the vibes were bad. I mean, that they were. And Giannis was, was fr- and by the way, Giannis is one of, I could be wrong, could be dead wrong. Giannis seems like among superstars, one of the most likable guys out there. Like he's kind of in that Steph Curry class where everybody, you don't have to be like thinking he's the best player in the world or anything, but everybody just kind of generally likes Giannis, generally likes Steph. Giannis has never, as, as, as much as I criticize Coach Bud, Mike Budenholzer, 
when did you ever see this type of pushback by Giannis on Budenholzer? You never saw it. So that tells you a lot. Parnell, I feel bad for Griffin and I'm happy for Doc, but to say Doc is going to get them to win, in the, word of Jan in the words of Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? I quote that often on, uh, on the show. Uh, and he says, if Doc couldn't work with Kawhi and Paul George, I couldn't see it with Giannis and Dame. Hasn't been to the conference final since the lockout year, blowing three three-win leads, Ben Simmons debacle against Atlanta. A again, like, it's just, it, it, his playoff resume is the worst, I'll put it this way, I, I will stand on this. No coach in NBA history has a worse playoff resume among guys who have won a ring than Doc Rivers. I mean, it's it is. I I won't even give it. I'll I'll spare you the the the, the gory details. We we already went over that. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but golly, that's it's bad. It's really bad. And I see a comment here. Porno asks, "Is Embiid your MVP?" I'll get to that in literally just a second because I I do want to touch on the seventy point game um, that Joel Embiid had. It's a lot of NBA today. This is the first time that I've done a all an all NBA show in quite some time. Because listen, if we're gonna be honest, keep it real. Part of what makes the NFL so successful, and it's always going to be the king of television, the NFL provides us with so many great stories. I mean, just this weekend, can Lamar Jackson, and I get his conference title game weekend, so let's just go back to the regular season. Like MVP storylines. Oh my God, is Dak going to, you know, Dak cut his interceptions almost in half and had the best season of his career, and Lamar is going to win MVP, maybe unanimously again, is second. What can he do in the playoffs? Brock Purdy, is he good? Is he not? Where is he somewhere in between? The Lions are a great story. Here comes Jordan Love. I mean, that's just a few of the stories. NBA didn't provide, hasn't provided us with that many stories. They really haven't. And like this is this. I've gone back to this. I wish I had a show at the time during the Warriors dynasty. I would have been insufferable back then because I was insufferable in my personal life. But uh, I've always believed this. That especially the NFL, not as much as the NBA and Major League Baseball, but the NFL does need it, is a villain. Who's who's the villain of the NBA? I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, the Lakers aren't that good. The Warriors aren't good at all. Uh, and I say that as a Warriors fan. Uh, Philadelphia, we'll see if they can break through. Denver, I mean, come on, is anybody rooting against Denver? Uh, OKC's the young up and coming team with a bunch of young guys. SGA, Chet Holmgren, all those guys. People generally like OKC, small town. Boston, is Boston really the villain? I mean, we don't have a villain in the NBA. Say what you want about Golden State. Oh, it was bad for the NBA. Is it more interesting? More storylines, more, you know, more compelling. By the way, Miami Heatles, way, way more compelling than the teams we got now with LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and, and Spolstra. And all the Mar the Mario Chalmers stuff. There's all kinds of storylines in Boston. I'm sorry, in Miami when LeBron was there. I mean, it didn't provide us that many storylines. Baseball has no storylines outside of Shohei. Partly, that's due to their commissioner doing a horrendous job of marketing the sport, but it's just not that interesting. And we don't have the villain. You could say the villain's now the Dodgers, now that they've added Shohei and Yamamoto. They just added freaking Paxson, uh, who played for my Red Sox last year. I'm like, God, they get everybody. But, you know, everybody loved when the Yankees and Red Sox, my Red Sox are doing it. You know, if you're going to hate it when the Dodgers are doing it, you're going to be inconsistent. You're being inconsistent, okay? The big markets are always going to win. Or not always going to win because the Diamondbacks were in the World Series. They're always going to be amongst the, the top of the league in terms of, of payroll, obviously. Okay, so Monday night was an interesting night across the NBA uh, from a scoring standpoint. First of all, it was the 
gosh, if I'm doing my math correctly, I guess it was the 17th or 18th anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point uh, masterpiece, second-highest game uh, scoring game in the history of the league against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and so I guess a bunch of guys went out there and saw Kobe, or didn't, you know, probably watched them, their Kobe highlights in the morning after shoot around. Like, you know what? I'm going for Katie. I'm going for 43 and hitting the game winner. Uh, born Katie later hitting a ridiculously tough game winner against Alex Caruso, uh, who had a great contest. Uh, Kat, Carl Anthony Towns going for 62, but then getting benched. The Timberwolves blow the game to the Hornets. So you had that component. And obviously the, the major player of it all was, was Joel Embiid, who dropped 70 against the San Antonio Spurs. Joel Embiid, if we can look at a stat line and just see how just silly this is. 70 points. 24-41 for the field. One for two from three. By the way, chipped in 18 rebounds. I believe I saw it was the first 70-point, 15-rebound game in NBA history. So from that component, from a history standpoint, it's the first 70-point game in the history of the 76ers, and we know the all-time greats have played there. AI, Dr. J, Moses Malone, some all-time greats in the city of Philadelphia, and Joel Embiid is unquestionably one of them. He's a league MVP, may win it again this year. Who knows? And I don't care. Couldn't care less. Now, Bryce, you're Bryce, like, oh, what, what, what does that mean? I don't care. Just be clear, is not the same as it's not impressive. If if a guy for the, I remember there was a guy years ago for the Cincinnati Reds, guy by the name of Scooter Jeanette. That name probably doesn't ring a bell because I came up with that or came up with that. I remembered it just today. Scooter Jeanette one time hit four home runs in a game. No, I mean, this is probably the first time you've heard about it if you're watching the show. It's probably the first time you've heard about it since then. Now, Scooter Jeanette is not Joel Embiid. Maybe a more apt example would be Mike Trout and some of the great statistical performances he's put together. They're kind of irrelevant. Not because Trout's irrelevant, not because Embiid's irrelevant, but because... We'll see you do it in the playoffs. For the record, this was my take on Jokic. Jokic, then and now, because he's in the prime of his career, right in the middle of his prime, was and is putting together crazy statistical performances. I remember there was a stretch. The, the stretch that he hit the, the half-court game winner on my Warriors, it was like a three-game stretch where he he shot like 80-something percent from the field in those three games combined. It, just, it was like video games. It's like 2K on rookie mode numbers. Crazy stuff. What did care last year? Because he hadn't shown anything near it in the postseason. Joel Embiid is the only NBA superstar that I can remember where, oddly, we really don't hold his playoff history against him that much. We don't. And some could say, well, you, we really didn't against Jokic uh, when he got those two MVPs. But ask yourself last year. When we were talking about, hey, who could win the Western Conference? Denver was, obviously Denver was mentioned. They were the one seed. We were talking Lakers, Warriors were the defending champions. We were talking about the Suns who had KD, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker and all those guys and Aiton at the time. We are talking about all these teams way more than Denver. Way more. By the way, Michael Malone. Remember when Michael Malone in that press conference when he was just constantly going at the Lakers and even at the post at, at the parade when Denver won it? Like, man, give us our respect. To which I said on the show, we will now because you won now. It's that simple. When you've shown an inability to get over the hump, 
when your superstar has kind of come up small in some of these playoff series, we're going to hold you to a different standard. For the record, Joel Embiid led the league in scoring a year ago. His playoff average dropped nine points in the postseason. And um, if we can look at what Philadelphia did, what Joel Embiid did with the Philadelphia 76ers, we will put it on James Harden. Yes, James Harden is the worst playoff performer among stars or superstars in NBA history. James Harden's playoff history, it's far worse than Embiid's. It's worse than just about everybody ever. Uh, we, we understand that. But he gave you two masterpieces. I think he had a 40-point game in game one and in game four. He was the best. Embiid didn't play game one. That was in Boston. Harden led the six, Sixers to a, uh, to, a, to a game that they stole against the Celtics. Game four, season on the line. Harden was better than Embiid. Statistically, hit the game-winning shot. They go on the road to Boston. They win game five. They come back home for game six where everybody expects them to win. Harden plays poorly, sure, but you know who else plays poorly up until like the last six minutes? Jason Tatum was nothing short of awful. He had made, I'm dead serious, one shot until about the last six minutes of that basketball game. What did Joel Embiid do? The chance to go to the conference finals on the line? 26 points, 10 rebounds. Solid, but disappeared in the last six minutes. And didn't that feel like it was kind of it for game seven? Didn't it kind of feel like, okay, Boston's going to win game seven, and they won by almost 30. And Joel Embiid in that basketball game had 15 points and eight rebounds in 38 minutes. Year prior, lost to a less talented Miami Heat team. Year prior, yes, he had the Ben Simmons stuff and Doc Rivers, so I'll take a little bit of the blame off of Embiid there. But as a guy who was the front runner for league MVP early in the season, they lost to a team whose second-best player in that series was Kevin Herter and the Atlanta Hawks. And by the way, in that Game 7, Trey Young had an abysmal shooting performance. 2020, lost to Boston, but didn't have Simmons. The coach wasn't right. Fine. 2019, lost to Toronto. Remember that shot Kawhi hit? Bede, you remember a big play from Embiid in that game? 2018, got gentlemen swept by Boston like we, we talk about. By the way, we didn't talk about Jokic's playoff history as much as I thought we should have coming into last year's postseason. But it was a story. And by the way, it's the implicit disregard of, of Denver going the postseason was very apparent. Go back to heck, go back to my show. Mine was more intentional than most, but in, in, in talking about the, you know the contenders in the West, but we were talking Warriors, we were talking Lakers. Some people, not myself, were talking Grizzlies, we were talking Phoenix Suns. People talked about Denver, but not as oh yeah, they're they're definitely gonna make the Western Conference Finals. Never. And then what did Jokic do? He puts together one of the greatest playoff runs statistically we've ever seen in our lives. And won finals MVP and was by a country mile the best player on the floor. Now we give Jokic his respect. Now we give the Nuggets their respect. You want to prove us wrong? Go win in the playoffs. Max Kellerman has a great saying. I heard him say all the time back when he was on first take back in the day that the beauty about sports, players write their own script, uh, their own scripts. These aren't actors. These aren't uh, entertainers, they write, I mean, you know, singers write their own songs, uh, overwhelmingly so, but like that, players write their own scripts. They dictate, they, they dictate the outcome of games, along with the coaches as well. But it, it's it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. When LeBron had won a title, we crushed LeBron. Steph already had a title, had three of them. We crushed, not me, we crushed Steph. 
until he got a finals MVP. Oh my God, Steph's terrible because he didn't have a finals MVP. Folks, Embiid hasn't been to a conference finals. And we kind of just let it skate by. I'm not saying we should crush him after a 70-point game. There's nothing to crush. I don't listen. People saying, oh, it's San Antonio. I don't care. He scored 70. That's incredible. Are we going to be talking about if, if the Sixers go out in round two to Boston, Milwaukee, or Miami, or maybe even New York? We're going to be talking this offseason July. Yeah, remember that 70-point game, that random January game against the Spurs that Embiid had? No, we're going to be like, yeah, they probably won another MVP in that span and disappeared to the playoffs again. I mean, the Sixers are kind of like the Cowboys of the NBA. Like, Cowboys can't get to a conference championship game. Sixers can't get to a conference finals. Haven't made one in two decades. Despite some really talented teams in that span, kind of like Dallas. So, it's, this isn't too poo-poo. This isn't too, me saying I don't care is not, it wasn't impressive. It, he dropped 70 and 18. It was unbelievable. And who knows, if he had played 48 minutes, he definitely would have passed Kobe's 81. Who knows if he could have threatened Wilt? He, I mean, he could have made it interesting. He's, a, he's an all-time great. Joel Embiid's already an all-time great. He's already going to the Hall of Fame. He's got an MVP. But this whole notion that we, we just totally disregard his playoff history, it's odd to me. It's really, really odd. Maybe we'll, if he wins an MVP this year and the Sixers flame out and he's a, a, the, the main cause of it, or not the main cause, of it, but a big cause of it, Maybe we'll go into 2025 if he's in the MVP discussion again. Take an MVP from him, give it to Jokic or Giannis or somebody, and say and hold his playoff history against him. I guess, but it's we, we don't do with Embiid what we do with other superstars, what we did with LeBron, what we did with Steph, despite the fact that Steph had won multiple MVPs and multiple championships. What we did and still do to Kevin Durant. Hey, KD, go and one as as the man. Why don't we do this as well? Like, it's it's a very odd thing. I'm not saying Embiid is a playoff choker like James Harden or somebody, but is he a playoff underachiever? That's not even debatable. I don't know. Player of his caliber, I believe Embiid's the only MVP in the history of the league to have not made a conference finals. Now, you know what the beauty is? He can make me look like an idiot in May, make one, even go a step further, make the finals, and I got to eat my words. Just like Jokic did. Now, I had less faith in Jokic than I do in Bede, but now I have all the faith in the world in Jokic because he proved me wrong. Proved a lot of people wrong. I don't know. I feel like I'm on an island on this Embiid thing. That's I'm not saying he's not great. I'm not saying he's not one of the five best players on God's green earth. I'm not saying that Team USA is very lucky to have him for the Olympics. Uh, very excited about that, but we got to be consistent on, on how we talk about superstars. That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's because he's really likable. Uh, Philadelphia is a big market. I, I I don't know. It's 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 odd. I'll, and again, I'll say this too. You know what else is different from B this year? He didn't have a scapegoat. See, the scapegoat was Ben Simmons, and then in that time, Doc Rivers. And while Doc was still there, then it became James Harden. Who, who is your scapegoat going to be? Tyrese Maxey, who's a kid just getting better. If Tyrese Maxey underperforms, he's a it's the first like big, big year of Tyrese Maxey's career. It's gonna take it's gonna take the young fella time to continue to get better and improve and, and grow. Not 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 the case with Embiid. So yeah, that's not to say Embiid won't get better. If he does get better, Lord have mercy for the league. But just be consistent. That's all I'm asking. He's a phenomenal player, though.
Okay, again, this is, it's so weird to be doing a show in the middle of January, really towards the end of January. Can't believe this. Uh, we're in the playoffs, conference championship games this weekend. Bryson's best 10 in about 12 minutes. My top 10 players left in the postseason. Normally I'd do teams, but there's four teams left. And I figured, eh, if I rank the top four teams, that's pretty much going to reveal who I have winning. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep that under wraps until Friday's show. So I'm like, who are the top 10 players this weekend still in the NFL playoffs? I will get to that in 10 to 12 minutes. And then I'll finish the show talking about why there is absolutely zero pressure on the Kansas City Chiefs. Matter of fact, less pressure on them than the other three teams combined. I should say combined, right? Yeah. The other three teams in general. Let's put it that way. I did want to get into a brand new segment uh, we do on Carving It Up. It's called Carving Up the Context. And I introduced this around the time Bryce's Best 10 came into the picture. Uh, it is where I look at a story, look at a segment, look at something that has been intriguing the and capturing the minds and the intentions of sports fans like myself and doing my best to provide a little bit, con a little bit of context around it. So today's episode and issue, whatever you want to call it, of Carving Up the Context revolves Kevin Durant, one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. But he says, no, I'm not one of the greatest. I should at least be considered as the greatest. We're missing something. Everybody's talking about, ah, oh, is he the GOAT? He's not the GOAT, blah, blah, blah. We're missing something I think it's very important to the context of GOAT discussions. But before I get into that, as primetime Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, we are once again talking about Kevin Durant, the superstar forward for the Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant, who, by the way, can I just say this, is in year 17. Because of what LeBron's doing with the Lakers, which is freakish, we're totally disregarding Steph, and we're disregarding Kevin Durant. Man's in year 17, averaging 30 a game. I mean, th th this guy, this guy's a freak. Listen, he, he's not the GOAT, spoiler alert, <laughs> for what I'm getting to today. But my Lord, what he's doing is special. And we're taking it for granted, I think. Partly because of what LeBron's doing, but we've got to give Katie a shine. And Steph a shine to these older players, older superstars. But Kevin Durant was doing an interview with The Republic last week. And uh, he was talking about, hey, should I be in the GOAT discussion? I should be in the GOAT discussion. He said, quote, uh, because I went to the Warriors, why should I be in that? That's the question you should ask. Why not? What haven't I done? So Katie's saying... So just because I went to the Warriors, I'm therefore disqualified from, from the GOAT discussion. Well, for those that disqualify, and listen, Katie's not in the GOAT discussion. I'll kind of detail that briefly. But for those that maybe would have, but him going to the Warriors was the disqualifying factor, I vehemently and fundamentally disagree with you. Uh, because the simple fact that we've had superstars, do we disqualify, not from a GOAT discussion, do we disqualify Moses Malone? As an all-time great player, Moses Malone, multi-time MVP, went to the Houston, I'm sorry, to the Philadelphia 76ers, joined in what was an already stacked basketball team, and they blew through the playoffs. Remember, it was I think it was Moses Malone, Dr. J, one of them that said fo fo fo, saying that they were going to win, uh, uh, you know, sweep the playoffs. Basically, instead, it went four uh, four five fo, I believe it was, swept the Lakers in the NBA Finals, who they lost a the year prior. Like I've said, there's a lot of parallels between Moses Malone and Kevin Durant's career. I digress. Katie's not the greatest simply because uh, it's hard to put a guy in the greatest ever discussion with the two, with two rings. It's it's 
very difficult. Uh, it's hard to put a guy in with only one MVP. Uh, that's, to me, what kind of disqualifies God rest his soul, but disqualifies Kobe to a certain level of being the GOAT discussion. He should have more than one MVP, I agree, but he's only got one. Uh, you have that factor as well. And you have the fact that he joined a superstar in Steph Curry, and I don't take credit away from KD in this. I give Steph more credit. That's where I differ with, with Steph and KD. Steph won championship before KD got there, won two with him, won one without him after he left. KD's never won without Steph Curry, without the Golden State Warriors, without the structure of what that franchise has built over the last decade. That's not to discredit him. It's just to say Steph's greater in that regard because he won without you. Draymond Green in no other uncertain terms articulated that in a very different way than I'm doing right now back in 2018, but that's another story for another day. But I was thinking about this, this whole Katie greatest of all time. Obviously, he's not. Obviously, that comes down to, I think it's it's not even debatable. You can't throw anybody else's name into this. I don't care what anybody says. It's LeBron versus Jordan. It is. They're leaps and bounds above everybody else. Kareem is a distant third, and then whoever's fourth, I've got Kobe fourth, is a distant from Kareem. I think it's Braun, Jordan, neck and neck. We can argue about who's, who's the greatest, but it's those two neck and neck. Big gap, Kareem. Big gap, and then we start to have who's fourth, fifth, sixth, so on and so forth. But I was thinking about this with Kevin Durant. From a, from a purely talent perspective, I think Kevin's one of the five most talented players to ever play the game. We see what Wimbenyama's doing as a rookie and Chet Holmgren. We've seen what Jokic is doing as a big. Dirk Nowitzki came before Kevin Durant was a great shooter as a big. Dirk couldn't handle the ball like this. Dirk was not as efficient as that. Dirk was efficient, not this efficient. A guy who is in shoes seven feet tall, as tall as you name your you name your favorite big, Akeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem. Kareem's taller than Kevin, but around the same height. The seven footers, the Giants. This guy's as tall as them. Shoots like as well as your favorite shooting guard from anywhere on the floor. Get whatever shot he wants. How's that? Because he handles the ball like your favorite point guard. Like that, that's his, that's, you create, I remember Draymond Green saying this years ago, I totally agree. KD is the ultimate 2K create a player. You make him a million feet tall, give him amazing 99 overall handles and a 99 overall shot. I mean, it's the handles. He can get to mid-range. He can shoot from the three. He can get to the basket. He's a great free throw shooter. He is an offensive juggernaut, cheat code, however you want to put it. His only real weakness in his game is he can be a little bit intimidated physically, but again, he is seven feet tall, so he can kind of use his size to an advantage in virtually every situation, one-on-one -on -one situation that he's in. He is literally the definition of unguardable. A guy could play, I think he's not the only example of this, but a guy could play textbook defense, and the guy, and, and Katie just rips it right through the net on him. It's like, okay, I can't, I can't do anything about that. Can't do anything about that. I remember watching him in that game seven against Milwaukee when Coach Bug kept throwing P.J. Tucker on. Poor P.J. Tucker was like 6'4", 6'5", is fighting for his life, playing as, as hard as he can, and Katie's just making it look effortless. When we talk about greatest of all time, I think we can often be very inconsistent on the who's better. 
Screw accolades. Let's say these guys never accomplished anything in the NBA in their lives, and you put them on a court. Who's better? How many guys put ahead of KD? Just who's better? By the way, KD's a good defender. Was top five in the league in sh uh, block shots one year. He can defend, especially in his prime, before, before the injuries got him. Jordan, maybe, but Jordan, as great a defender as he was, he's 6'6". Six, six. Katie's seven feet. He could just shoot over Michael. LeBron, we've seen LeBron, KD go toe-to-toe. -to -toe, you know, but LeBron is also not as, 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 is not quick enough to deal with KD from an offensive standpoint. We saw what KD did against LeBron in the 2017 finals. LeBron couldn't do anything to stop him. And LeBron was closer to his prime then. Even in 2012, KD had a great finals. Kareem, you're again, name a big, not quick enough to stick with him. Your smallest guard is too small to guard him. You, you, you throw it out there. I mean, remember when Patrick Beverly had that two-game stretch where it was like, oh, man, Patrick Beverly's locking up KD. And he had what is one of my all-time, all-time, like Mount Rushmore quotes in the history of my life watching sports. I, 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 I grin from ear to ear when I hear this because I freaking love it. When Patrick Beverly, 2019 Clippers Warriors, is guarding KD, is playing playing really well, and they ask Kevin Durant about that, and he's got a he's the most chill dude in the world, very casual, he's got a hoodie on, you know, is is is, is just kind of sitting there, just going through his, his regular press conference, and something seemed to just irk him. Whatever the question was, just seemed to bother him, and he said, you know, I'm not going to get in a back and forth with Patrick Beverly. For the record, guys, for y'all y'all that don't know, Patrick Beverly six one, KD seven feet. You know, he can't stop KD, but he plays hard. But Kevin Durant had one of the all-time greatest quotes ever. You know what he said? That's what he said, verbatim. Kevin Durant. Y'all know who I am. Not in the way I'm saying, but he just said very casually. He just looked, and he looked at all the reporters. He said, y'all know who I am. And KD just absolutely destroyed the Clippers over the next four games and, and capped it off the 50-burger in game six. I mean, he was, it's one of the greatest stretches of basketball I've ever seen Kevin play. Yet we don't put him in the greatest ever discussion. Nor should we because of some of the lack of accomplishments, some of uh, you know, so the fact that he hasn't won without Golden State. He only does he does only have one MVP. Meanwhile, Jordan has five, LeBron has four, Kareem has six. All those those factors come into the into the picture and into play. Meanwhile, from the accolade standpoint, this is where it gets interesting. From the accolade standpoint, see, it isn't as concrete. Like, greatest quarterback ever is, is a silly debate. No, it, matter of fact, there is no debate. Maybe Mahomes may get into it soon, but right now he's not in it. Like, Tom has not as many MVPs as everybody else, but the Super Bowl appearances, the championships, it's the records, it's ridiculous. He got, he's got every major quarterback record. NBA, it's mixed, you know? LeBron's got the most points, greatest longevity, and could do everything, everything at a higher level combined than anybody else who's ever played the game. Kareem was the all-time leading scorer. More, actually, more Kareem. Michael has more championships than LeBron, six for six. More MVPs than LeBron, five for five. Defensive player of the year. Uh, led the greatest dynasty in, in, in modern NBA history. Then you have Kareem. And again, we don't put Kareem in the greatest ever discussion. Even though he has more rings than LeBron and as many as Jordan. More finals appearances than Jordan. More MVPs than both. He's got six. LeBron is four. Jordan is five. More MVPs than six. Beat Jordan in terms of longevity and won with two different franchises. Yet we don't consider him. Why not? 
who's to say Oscar, not to take shots at the great Oscar Robertson or the great Magic Johnson, but who's to say they'd have had the careers they'd have without Kareem? They wouldn't have. They'd have been great. All-time talents. Two, two of the, Magic's the greatest point guard ever. Uh, uh, Oscar is top 15, top 20, wherever you want to put him, players of all time. They wouldn't have been that without Kareem. See, I think we often forget sometimes that it's a mix of the two. That Kevin is saying, I am. I assume, I can be anybody who's ever played the game one-on-one. Anybody. You, you line me up. It's obviously impossible. We don't have a time machine. You line me up against any player that's ever played the game. I can beat them one-on-one. Because I can get whatever shot I want. I can defend at a relatively high level, especially for my size and stature. Uh, I, I, I can shoot with the best of them. It could be anybody one-on-one. Like, if you put, I have Steph, most people, including myself, have Steph, quite a few notches above KD. I got KD around, like, the 13th, 14th, somewhere around there, greatest player ever. I got Steph. I've Some have him higher, some have him lower. I got Steph sixth. Some think he's got nine, ten. But regardless, Steph's above KD. Put him one-on-one, KD's winning. Every time. Steph can't guard him. Can't guard him. Now, Steph's going to get his shots on KD because he's an all-time great shop creator and maker. KD's going to beat Steph. He's going to beat all of them. But in terms of accolades, Kareem's the only guy who can match Jordan and LeBron. And he's got the longevity. So I I just think it's a... We act like the GOAT discussion, whether you're pro-Jordan or pro-LeBron, and that's often where these discussions come down to, who the discussions come down to, we act like it's so black and white. uh, It's one way or the other. These are very fluid discussions. These are very fluid conversations that, honestly, I'm glad Katie sort of, I, I think, uh, accidentally, but maybe unaccidentally. I don't know. He's a savvy guy. Sort of alluded to. I mean, there's a lot of guys. Uh, Kyrie Irving, by the way. Nobody's, nobody's ever, 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 ever going to consider Kyrie for the greatest at his position, whatever you want to say, the point guard shooting guard is more of a two to, to, than a one to me, uh, two guard to one guard, but regardless, but that man's handle, oh, um, uh, it's the greatest I've ever seen, including Steph and Jamal Crawford and AI. It is ridiculous. Talent. Resume. By the way, that's not to say, me saying the accolades is not to say Kareem wasn't talented. I want to make that abundantly clear. Uh, he's the greatest center ever, and that's that's not even a discussion. He's absolutely the greatest center ever. It's not even close. But and we've had some great bigs. He's the greatest ever. But I'm telling you, man, it's there's a lot of nuance in these discussions that we just throw out the door. And it's barbershop talks. I get it, but why do you think these conversations are just continuing? Like with Brady again, like Brady in the NFL. He's got more rings than anybody. doesn't have as many MVPs, but has more Super Bowl MVPs than anybody, more playoff wins than anybody, won with two different teams, has virtually every quarterback record ever. Like, it's 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 Wayne Gretzky. That's what it is. It's Wayne Gretzky. He's got all the records. Like, it's it's not even... It's it's kind of silly to debate. Again, Mahomes may get there someday. In, like, a decade, we may be having Brady or Mahomes. I mean, even still, Brady beat Mahomes twice. The second one was non-Patrick, but still. We, we, uh, we often forget the nuance in these discussions. So, long story short, that is it. This week's edition of Carving Up the Context. Got some comments here. Oh, really? Mike Guido, we got some breaking news on Carving Up Live. Let's get the, the, the do we have the, I'm going to change the show up a little bit because we just, this just broke literally 
a few minutes ago. Gosh, I was just on the fly here. You could tell I haven't done a breaking story in a while on Carving It Up. You could tell I have not done a breaking story. Um, okay. So. Hang on, if I can change this here. There we go. Breaking news. Do we have the, do we, dog, doggone it, do we have the freaking horn? Do we have it? Breaking news. The Los Angeles Chargers have hired Jim Harbaugh. Mike Guido, I saw it. You put it first in the comments. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. It broke about 10 minutes ago. So, uh, so Jim Harbaugh's a Charger. Okay. So, we know the Chargers was kind of the go-to destination for Harbaugh. Uh, Bryce's best 10. We're going to postpone that for just a second. Okay. So, I, I did not see that coming. So, quick reaction. Harbaugh's won everywhere he's gone. One at San Diego. One at Stanford. One at San Francisco at the 49ers. He's won at Michigan. He's won everywhere. And by the way, all four situations, I don't know about San Diego. I don't know enough about that to say. But those other three, Stanford, disaster. Took it over. We're great immediately. Niners, awful. Took it over. Great immediately. Michigan, awful. Took it over. Great immediately. And college, that's much harder because you got to get your recruiting classes. Like NFL, if you can ace a draft, get some free agents in, if you've got the quarterback. The Chargers is not a... From a, in, in terms of football standpoint, in terms of the production, the results, they're not a bad job. They're not the P Carolina Panthers or something, but they're far from a, <laughs> you know, they're not exactly the San Francisco 49ers. Now, in terms of talent, not that far off from San Francisco or any talented team. You'll throw out Baltimore, Kansas City, Detroit, any of the teams playing this weekend. LA's not far off. This was the most attractive job. Why? Because among the teams that were hiring head coaches, LA had the best quarterback, Justin Herbert. So anytime you have a great, a certified, great quarterback, you're going to have interest from head coaches out there. And so now for the first time, Jim takes over a job that is the cap situation, as far as I know, is pretty good. Uh, obviously, Herbert, he's got his money, but this organization has tended to draft. Well, I didn't like that they fired Tom Telesco personally, but they moved on. We'll see how they do in the draft moving forward. They've got Joey Bosa. they got Khalil Mack. Derwin James, offensively, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, if he could stay healthy, if they bring back Austin Eckler, that's a darn good football team. And that's, by the way, LA's going to have to continue to go against Mahomes year in and year out, year in and year out. That's You're going to need an all-star level coach. Because when it was Brandon Staley versus Andy Reid, that's not even fair. Listen, Herbert's not Mahomes. That goes without saying. But he's capable. He's beat Mahomes a few times. He's capable of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Patrick. Reed and, and and Staley, it's 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 kind of still. I mean, the freaking Raiders put sixty three on the on the Chargers uh, when Brandon Staley was there. So Harbaugh props to a man. He takes over a great job. Left with a national title at Michigan. Uh, this is okay. That that's perfect. This is perfect. John Rivera, my man in the comments, fan perspective podcast is great match. Uh, better place than Minnesota where he almost went to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember a couple years ago he almost went to Minnesota. It's a way better situation. Not that he gets Kirk Cousins, but he's not Justin Herbert. And he says, happy for him. Michigan almost let him go two years ago. That's right. They did. Or almost did, rather. He gets the championship there, builds a winning program there, winning culture. You got the NCAA stuff sort of looming over him right now. But I think this is a – and by the way, I had sort of suspected over the last 24 hours that he was probably going to get the job. There was a report earlier today 
by Schefter that, because I want to give him credit, that Harbaugh was going to interview with the Falcons today, and the interview got put off. It, it, it got canceled. So that told me, okay, he's he's going to take the Chargers job. Like they interviewed, I believe they interviewed Vrabel. I don't I think they interviewed Belichick. Like, again, because we talk about this is the most loaded head coaching market maybe of our lifetimes. You got Belichick, you got Vrabel, you got Harbaugh, maybe Pete Carroll, you got Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald with the with, with the Ravens. Uh, the kid in Houston, uh, Slovis, I think, still, I think he still needs a little bit of time to, to, to grow, uh, but still, he'll be a head coach someday in the future. So this is a phenomenal hire by the Chargers. They, you know, this is uh, my man Ryan Flowers. He's the first I ever heard say it. Others have said it. Ryan Flowers, host of Clutch Sports Talk here on the grid. Be sure to check that out. Ryan has a, a, a saying he uses all the time. Anytime the Chargers are the Chargers hype comes in in September, Labor Day before the season, oh, the Chargers are gonna be contenders. And he always says, Chargers gonna be the Chargers. Like they have the Cowboys have a reputation of gagging in big games. That's more relegated for the playoffs. I mean, listen, every team's gonna blow games. I'm sure Dallas, off the top of my head, what's a game that they absolutely just blew? Uh probably the Philadelphia game in Philadelphia. Dallas kind of blew that at the end, but Every time, I mean, for crying out, Baltimore had three losses this season where they let at the two-minute warning. Like, every team blows a few games a year. What the Chargers do is unlike anything I've ever seen. They find, they literally invent new ways to lose every other week. Whether it's coaching, whether it's fluky plays, whether it's your defense. I mean, I remember 2020, their defense would have great halves, so would their offense, and then they would just go kaput in the second half. That was Herbert's rookie year. And it's so Harbaugh's going to come in. He's going to fix that. He's going to have them ready to go situationally. Uh, this is a massive hire. This is a great hire by the Chargers. And uh, thank you very much, Mike Guido, for letting me know. I uh, Listen, when I hear my phone go- going off during segments, uh, I tend to, to kind of check it at, at times. But uh, I heard my phone go off a couple times. I didn't know that it was Harbaugh to the Chargers. But I'll say this. The, the Schefter tweet where it said that he had canceled the interview with Atlanta kind of told me that he was probably going to take the job. And... Um, I would say the Chargers are back, but they've never been. I mean, they had that run in the in, in the eighties with uh, I'm forgetting the quarterback's name. It's it's oh, it's bl- I'm blanking right now. Uh, not Vinny Testaverde. Uh, it's on the tip of my. Who is the quarterback in the who had the beard? He 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 went into broadcasting. I don't know if I don't think he's still broadcasting more with CBS. What is his name? Somebody in the comments help me out. I'm blanking. Oh my gosh, what is his? He put up he put up big big numbers. Obviously, they have Philip Rivers there. Uh, Drew Brees before that. So they, they have a history of, of really good to great quarterback play. It's driving me crazy. Now I have to Google it. Uh, this is this is bothering me. Uh, I'm going to just go search on Google. Great. This is live Googling. I'm carving it up here. Great Chargers uh, quarterbacks. Dan Fouts. That's who it was. I, I, I knew. I was like, the, the name's on the tip of my tongue. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember. Dan Fouts. Yeah, so they had that role with Dan Fouts in like the, the 80s. And they always underachieve in the playoffs, could never play in cold weather. Then they have Breeze before his shoulder went out. Then they have Phillip Rivers got to some conference title games, but never was able to were able to get over the hump and then went through some years of being good, not great. Now they have Herbert, who's this ultra talent, but they continually underachieve due to the in large part due to coaching. Uh listen, Chargers underachieve. It ain't gonna be because of Jim Harbaugh. I'll tell you that right now. They go show you, listen, the NFL, when you get an A plus coach, an A plus quarterback. You saw what Houston did, by the way, with a bad team. Houston was a bad football team last year. 
Got the coach right, D'Amico Ryan's quarterback right, C.J. Stroud. Houston Texans were among the final four in the stacked AFC. Think about that. Got those two, and hit on other draft picks, obviously. And, and, and D'Amico put together a good staff, but hit on those two. Houston was a win away from the conference title game. So now you have a, a quarterback we already know is great, Justin Herbert. We have four years of evidence. A coach we know is great. We have, he's great in college, great in the NFL, and that's a very select class, like only Pete Carroll and, and Jimmy Johnson. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but like Urban Meyer was a disaster in the NFL. Uh, Lane Kiffin, terrible in the league. Nick Saban, the greatest college coach ever, horrible in the NFL. Jim Harbaugh's one of the select few that could say, you know, he, he, he was good. <laughs> John Rivera said Doug Flutie. Yeah, Doug Flutie was, was, uh, it was in LA. It's, no, that didn't count. That didn't count. By the way, Doug Flutie, example. Great college player. Eh, didn't work in the NFL. Doug Flutie would have worked in today's league, though. You know, with some of the smaller guys, Kyler Murray. Kyler's more athletic, obviously, but uh, smaller, mobile. like the, Doug Flutie came in at a time where it was pocket guys, big, strapping, guys who could throw it to the moon. Put Doug Flutie in today's game, I think he would have been pretty successful. I really do. I think he would have been pretty successful. But nonetheless, a phenomenal hire by the LA Chargers. Phenomenal hire. Could, could, could have done better. And I love Rabel, and I get the interest in Belichick and Pete Carroll. They could not have done a better hire than this. And so if you're Atlanta, Atlanta probably has to feel worse than anybody. Like They probably knew before anybody other than the Chargers did. If So who's Atlanta go with now? I go, Vra I go Vrabel over Belichick because if nothing else, obviously Vrabel's a great coach and has done a lot with what's not a very good roster in Tennessee outside of Derrick Henry and, and, and D-Hop and, and Jeffrey Simmons. That man knows how to put together staff. I mean, I read the other day that Arthur Smith, the now former head coach of the Falcons, who was a terrible head coach but a great OC in Tennessee, that up to, I think it was like seven teams were interested in him and bringing him in as their OC. And could that be as like a tie-in deal, a tie-in package with Vrabel? Maybe. But this is very fascinating. There we go. Listen, we haven't had – you saw how unprepared I was, so I apologize. I was not expecting uh, breaking news on Carving Up Live. Uh, I didn't even have, have my my signature uh, – I didn't have the signature air horn ready. What? Final time breaking news. Jim Harbaugh has been hi uh, hired by the Los Angeles Chargers. I kind of figured it was coming. Probably should have figured it was coming during the show, but nonetheless, it did uh, It did not come to pass. But Or it did come to pass, and I was – I apologize. I was not ready to go. Uh, that will be, uh, you know, addressed uh, next time. But very excited. Okay, so Bryce, let's now go to Bryce the best 10. See, I was planning to do that like around the 45, 50-minute mark, but this story broke, so I'm like, okay, this is, whoo. So thank you, Mike Guido. I uh, saw Guido up there was was who uh, said it. Chargers hired Harbaugh breaking. So that was about 10, uh, about 13 minutes ago. So thank you very much, Guido, and John Rivera in the comments as well, uh, giving his 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 uh, input and, and, and takes. This is a this is a home run for the Chargers, man. Home run. Could you? We get hiring cycles that are fine. This one's loaded, and the Chargers got the best guy. They did. They got the best guy, and I love Rabel. And Pete Carroll's probably going to get a job. He's interested. Belichick is definitely going to get a job. They got the best guy. No doubt about it. All right. So I do a segment every week. It's called Bryce's Best Ten. And normally, what I do. This is the debut season of it is that during the NFL season, I rank my top 10 teams in the league going into that particular week. And even last week, I did my top eight because I'm like, ah, it's close to 10. It's 
the nine and 10 spots were kind of vacant. You know, if you want to slide in freaking like Miami or Dallas or somebody into it or Pittsburgh, it'd be nice if you, if you slid in Pittsburgh, that'd be, I appreciate that. But if that's it, that you want to do that thing, then, then great. But top eight, well, we're down to four and I was thinking about, it, I'm like, I can't do Bryce's best four. Cause a, it's a very short list list and B it, that'll basically reveal my picks. So I'm going to put that off to the side, put that on the table for now and predict the games on Friday. So what I decided to do instead was my top 10 players, top 10 players going into conference title game weekend. So if we can get the background music going right now, that's 10. At number 10, my number 10, my, the 10th best player left in the postseason is Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown is the 10th best player left in the postseason, and here's why. So Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, and I've said all season long, the most underrated receiver in the league, maybe one of the most underrated players in the National Football League. You look what he's done. He's second in catches, third in yards, fourth in touchdowns. So on an offense that has a lot of standout players, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, and, and and Josh Reynolds, Jamison Williams, Jared Goff, Manningship, that great offensive line. What this guy's doing is crazy town. Uh, second catches again, third in yards, fourth in touchdowns. He's not only in, not not just a number one receiver. Production says he's top five. I don't know if I'll put him there yet, but six, seven, can we put him there? I mean, I get the quarterback plays better, and but receiver, we knew that coming in is a very dependent position. Lately, he's been more productive than guys I love. Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. Again, I get his quarterback's way better than their two, but still, that factors in the equation as well. So, what Amara St. Brown has done, they drafted him in the fourth round in 2021. Again, Brad Holmes, home run. I, I talked about Brad Holmes on the show on Monday. Home run uh, draft picks uh, over the last uh, couple of years since he took the job, and, and there's no question, the last few years since he took the job, and Amara St. Brown might be the headline guy along with Aiden Hutchinson. Amara St. Brown, the 10th best player left in the postseason at number nine to the defending champions kansas city chiefs it is chris jones chris jones the ninth best player left in the postseason and here's why so chris jones obviously defensive tackle for the kansas city chiefs we saw what this chiefs defense looked like against ironically a team i just talked about the lions back in week one they missed chris jones that they lions put together a big time drive in the first half and a game-winning drive at the end and we always know with those great defensive linemen not only is the interior guys but those great defensive linemen that when you need them the most, it's come go get the quarterback when it's when the game's on the line when they're trying to go make a play and try and set them back behind the line of scrimmage or behind the sticks. Uh, in general, Chris Jones has done that. He made probably the most underrated play of Divisional Weekend last week where he pushed. And Deion Dawkins is an elite, elite offensive lineman. Chris Jones literally pr- pushed Deion Dawkins, Deion Dawkins into Josh Allen where he missed Shakir. Now, Josh Allen missed Stephon Diggs coming across the field, but he had Shakir open, and he pushed Deion Dawkins, Chris Jones did, into Josh Allen, which forced an errant throw. He was amazing last year in the AFC title game, sacking Burrow, making every big play the Chiefs needed him to against the Cincinnati Bengals. So you see what he's capable of on a postseason-to-postseason and season-to-season basis. He's going to get the bag. If it's not from Kansas City, which I think it will be, but if it's not with Kansas City, it's going to be with somebody. Chris Jones, the ninth-best player left in the NFL playoffs. At number eight, going to go to the 49ers. It is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, the eighth-best player left in the playoffs, and here's why. So, listen, Debo is a guy 
who is among guys in this list is the one that's least likely to play. He may play, but he didn't practice today for San Francisco. We'll see what his status is by Friday's show when I make my predictions because that's going to go a long way in my predictions for Niners and Lions. But listen, what can you say about Debo? He has 12 touchdowns in the year, uh, all purpose in terms of rushing, pass, I'm sorry, rushing and receiving over a thousand yards on the year. Uh, he is the ultimate offensive cheat code. I've oftentimes called him the best overall offensive player in the NFL. Heck, we've seen him throw touchdowns. I remember he threw a touchdown against the Rams not that long ago. A couple of years ago, I think in week 18 against the Rams, threw a touchdown pass to, uh, I think it was to Juwan Jennings. So, he's a productive player in virtually every aspect. He's physical. He is injury prone, a bit brittle uh, physically, so that's a concern. We're seeing that this week. We'll see if he's able to go against the Detroit Lions, but if he is, we've seen his value. We've seen his importance. Like, we've argued. Who's the most valuable player on the Niners offense? Which, by the way, is the reason we should have never said Brock Purdy was MVP of the league. I digress. Is it Purdy? Is it McCaffrey? Is it Trent Williams? Argument could be made. It's Debo Samuel. This offense went into the tank when he went out in the, uh, the, the vast majority of that three-game losing streak back in October. He missed almost all of this game against the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, it took a game-winning drive by Purdy in that Niners offense to really break through and get the W. Debo Samuel, the eighth-best player left in the playoffs. At number seven, going to the Baltimore Ravens, it is Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith is the seventh-best player left in these playoffs, and here's why. People forget... We talk about how great this Ravens defense is. More on that in a second. This Ravens defense at the start of last season, 2022, was horrible beyond horrible. Remember that game in week two where Tua and Tyreek hung like 40 points, came back from 21 down the fourth quarter to beat this Ravens team despite a great game by Lamar Jackson. I mean, this defense was in shambles. And they went to a team that is kind of has a history with great linebackers, the Chicago Bears, traded for Roquan Smith. The rest is history. They are easily far and away in the last season and a half the best defense in football. And just this season, they, you know, led the league in points per game. Or, sorry, they were first in the NFL in scoring defense, takeaways, and sacks. And Roquan Smith is kind of the anchor, the leader of all that. Great linebackers is a tradition in Baltimore led by the great Ray Lewis. Roquan Smith is no Ray Lewis, but he's kind of taken that mantle as this next great linebacker in Baltimore. Roquan Smith, the seventh best player in the National Football League. At number six, going back to the Chiefs, it is... Karma. I'm sorry, Travis Kelsey. I, I forgot. It's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. You know, little reference there for you Swifties out there. Uh, I know my mom is going to love that. Shout out, mom. Uh, anyways, Travis Kelsey, sixth best player left in the playoffs. Listen, I know he had a down season. Is the first time in almost a decade since he hasn't had a thousand yards receiving. But if you look at Travis Kelsey's postseason receiving numbers. They're crazy. He's second to Jerry Rice in virtually every category in terms of touchdowns, in terms of yards, catches. His chance to catch Jerry Rice in some of those categories. Him and Mahomes, by the way, they he had they connected for two touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills. That pass, Brady and Gronk, for the most touchdowns between a duo in the history of the NFL playoffs. Brady and Gronk had 15 together. Mahomes and Kelsey have 16 and counting. Uh, we'll see what his future is. I know there's, there's rumblings about a potential retirement. We'll see. I know he dealt with more injuries this year than most. Uh, he seems pretty resolute, you know, trying to finish this season, deciding what he does from here. But Travis Kelsey is... is security blanket is an insult, okay? This guy's a game-changer, playmaker, and plays his best when the lights are bright, and that's in the playoffs. Travis Kelsey is the ninth-best player, the sixth-best player, rather, in the National Football League. I just realized something, y'all. I put my old graphic on this show. <laughs> I just put my old graphic. This is what it should look like, not this. That is hilarious. My bad. I'm still getting used to the new stuff, guys. I apologize, Ryan. I know you created this graphic. My bad. That is, that's funny. I apologize for that. Anyways, back on track to the top five 
It is, in my view, the best linebacker in all football, Fred Warner. Fred Warner is the fifth best player left in these playoffs, and here's why. So Fred Warner is a guy who is the best, not only tackling linebacker in the NFL, but the best coverage linebacker. He's got four picks on the year. Okay, this is a guy who is is, is one of the most intuitive um, uh, guys in the NFL at his position. Makes big plays when he absolutely has to. He's the guy that, if you're a quarterback, you're watching, you're playing against the other defense, you're watching film all week. Trust you me, Jared Goff, Ben Johnson, Dan Campbell, they are watching film. Where's Fred Warner? Where's 54? How can game, how can we game plan against this guy who is going to be a Hall of Famer one day? He's the best linebacker in the sport, the most uh, instinctual, smart linebackers in the sport. Best coverage guy, best tackling guy. He can do it all. Uh, I mean, really, honestly, he could probably be a safety, if we're being honest, with just the speed uh, and his ability to make plays when they absolutely need to be made. Fred Warner, the fifth best player in the National Football League. Staying with this team, again, I'm telling y'all, Niners are loaded. Staying with this team at number four, the best running back in all football, it is Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is the fourth best player left in these playoffs. You talk about a guy in Christian McCaffrey who led the league in rushing this year, had 2,000 yards overall, rushing and receiving, had 21 touchdowns on the year. And this isn't a situation we've seen guys in the past, no shots here, but I remember Jamal Williams with the Lions last year had somewhere around 20 touchdowns, and Raheem Mostert similarly. It's like, eh, some of those are at the goal line. Not saying all McCaffrey's didn't come from the goal line, but he has breakaway, you know, get, you know, get off to the races type of speed. I don't like to say like Chris Johnson or anything. Chris Johnson was a monster back in Tennessee, but talking about what this guy can do, catching passes just like his dad, Ed McCaffrey with the Denver Broncos and running the football as effectively as he does. Listen, this 49ers offensive line uh, is not among the best in the NFL, but he, he's able to find a hole. He's able to make, make plays, make it happen. I think he's the most valuable player on their offense. Not the best player on their offense. You're about to see but the most valuable player in their offense, what he provides them, how he makes things easier on Purdy, how he makes things easier on everybody else. Uh, it, it, I, I got etched in my memory him taking a 70-plus yarder uh, to the house for a touchdown in week one against my Steelers. It was a rough one, a rough day for my Steelers, but Christian McCaffrey is nothing short of special. He's the fourth-best player left in the playoffs. Another 49er. Again, I say all the time, best roster in football. I wasn't kidding. The last 49er on this list is the, is the best left tackle in the league and one of the greatest all-time. Trent Williams. Trent Williams is the third best player left in these playoffs. You're like, man, Bryce, why'd you put a tackle on here? I'll tell you exactly why I put a tackle on here. He hasn't given up a sack this year, and he's a guy who, I checked pro football focus, I don't believe he's given up a pressure this year. He didn't give up any in 2022. This is a guy who's, like, I heard him compared it to as the Shaq of the NFL. Like, he is the, the, the dominant force physically, uh, you know, listen, again, I talked about that that offensive line in San Francisco. It's not as good as some might think with the success of McCaffrey. Trent Williams makes up for a lot of mistakes. Again, he was a guy who dealt with injuries during that three-game losing streak for San Francisco. Office didn't look close to the same. Purdy was constantly dealing with pressure from his left side. Good news is for Purdy this week, I assume Aiden Hutchinson is probably going to come from the right. Maybe he does come from the left. If he does come from the left, with all due respect to Aiden Hutchinson, who's a great player, Brock Purdy doesn't have to deal with pressure coming from his blind side. Never does, nor does any quarterback playing with Trent Williams at left tackle. He's still doing it at this advanced age and stage of his in his mid-30s now. Trent Williams is the third best player left in these playoffs. At number two, it's a guy who's going to win his second MVP. It is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, the second best player left in these playoffs, and here's why. So, what do you say about Lamar? Yes, the stats aren't... Mind-blowing. Not crazy. Sorry for that bad explosion sound, by the way. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 24 passing touchdowns. 
Five rushing touchdowns. Eh, nothing crazy. How about this for Lamar? Nine wins this year. I believe this is nine against teams with a winning record. And not only do they beat them, they shellack them. Did you see what they did to the Miami Dolphins back in week 17? They hung 50 on them. Against this amazing roster in San Francisco, they were up three touchdowns with two minutes to go before the Niners got, or with a few minutes to go before the Niners got a garbage time touchdown with Sam Darnold. This guy is, again, he's won, he's lost one game in his career against the NFC, which is bad news. The Ravens get to the Super Bowl. It's bad news for whoever they play in the Super Bowl, San Francisco or Detroit. Uh, by the way, he schlacked Detroit as well this year. So we'll see what he does against Kansas City, the test that that's going to provide. But what this guy, he is the hardest player, I, I believe, to game plan for in all football. Defensive coordinators have said that, that when you consider his arm, his legs, he's improved drastically as a pocket passer. Pro football focus has him as the number one thrower outside the pocket. And for the record, people say, oh, valuable stats. What about Purdy's stats? By the way, as a Dak guy, Dak people who are like, what about Dak stats? They're better. As valuable as Dak is, that Cowboys offense, the Ravens offense can barely function when Purdy's out of the lineup. If you look at their numbers, they're barely breaking double-digit points, not close to the amount of yards. When Lamar's in the lineup, they're a 30-point-per-game scoring team. They win about 80% of their games. He is nothing short of special and finally seems to be getting a little bit of respect. Uh, listen, I hate the Ravens. I hope they lose this weekend. I'm a Steelers fan, but... Been a Lamar guy from day one, and this guy is nothing short of phenomenal. Lamar Jackson is the second best player left in the playoffs, and that leaves the obvious number one. It is Mr. Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes, the best player left in these playoffs. Let's be honest, the best player in all of football. Here's why. Mahomes is down season, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. Now, the 14 picks, not great, but 27 touchdowns is the down year. From all that just goes to show you the expectation and what we expect from him on, on, a, on a year-to-year basis. And by the way, he's the best, not greatest. We talked about that earlier with KD. Difference between greatest and best. He's the best playoff quarterback ever. You've ever seen. This is his playoff averages and resume. He's 13 and 3, 38 touchdowns, seven interceptions, completes about 66.8% of his throws. 285 yards per game, and on average, a pass rating of 106. Those are obviously the record touchdown interceptions. Those are his averages in the playoffs. Oftentimes, great players were like, man, can they maintain their level of greatness in the playoffs? Or are really good? Like, like, Dak, can you put together that great run? Lamar, can he put together? Josh Allen, can he be consistent? Patrick Holmes does not maintain his level of play in the in the playoffs. He gets better. Folks, again, I'll put it up one more time. That's an MVP season right there. 13-3, 38 touchdowns, 7 picks, completes mid-60s, completion percentage, almost 300 yards a game, and a pass running over 100. That is literally an MVP stat line that Lamar, I'm sorry, that Patrick Holmes puts in the postseason. Uh, he's also first all-time in, in winning percentage in the playoffs. He's nothing short of special. Two Super Bowl rings, two MVPs, and looking to add another Super Bowl ring. It's going to be a tough task going to the, to the to, on the road to Baltimore. That's, I believe, right now the best team in all football. It's going to be a tall task for Mahomes, but he's more than capable of doing it. Patrick Mahomes is the best player left in these playoffs. There you go. He, he's amazing. So to go back over the list real quick, recap Bryson's best 10 players uh, left in the postseason at number 10. Lions wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown at number 9. Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones at number 8. Uh, 49ers, I don't want to call him a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver running back. 
athletes. You know they call out athletes. Athlete, Debo Samuel. At number seven, Ravens linebacker, Roquan Smith. At number six, Chiefs tight end, Travis Kelsey. At number five, Niners linebacker, Fred Warner. At number four, Niners running back, Christian McCaffrey. Number three, Niners left tackle, Trent Williams. At number two, Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson. And of course, at number one, Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. I am so, like literally. I just realized mid like mid segment when I was doing that that I had my old carving up graphic. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm so listen. Habits are hard to break. We know this, uh, but it's still no excuse. I sincerely apologize to to the audience for that. That was listen. I'm I'm, I'm still getting used to these new graphics. Again, Ryan Flowers. <laughs> kudos, kudos, buddy. Fantastic stuff. Patrick Brown is in the comments. What's up, Patrick? As Barry Grant Jr. always says, the scariest movie known to man is Doc Rivers in a Game 7. Truer words have never been spoken. That is a fact. Like I said, talked about Doc earlier. Uh, and I maintain, I said earlier and I, I'll say now, he has the worst playoff resume of any coach in the NBA history that has a ring. I mean, it is. I'll Let me put up the stat one more time. Because I, I had to I had to take I had to take the graphic off because of the the Bryce's best 10, all the graphics I had for that. Let me put that on there one more time. The game seven. I'm sorry. Well, not the game seven stats, but the well, actually, I guess it would. No, the stats uh, with Brock. Pur I mean, with um, I kept thinking Brock Purdy. The stats with Doc Rivers when he's won the third game in the series. Okay, we're putting it up here right now. Here we go. Okay, so Patrick, if you're still here, everybody, audience. One one more time, I'll show the stat just because it is. I literally could not believe it when I saw it today when I was doing my research for the show. One time a month, about a, one time a month, you'll have a stat that blows your mind. You can't believe what you just read, and it's true. Doc Rivers is sixteen and thirty three after getting his third win of a best of seven series. So when Doc Rivers is one win away, what not two, one win away from winning the series, he wins a third of those series. Like that is or a third of those games, rather. Mind-boggling. Sad that's hard to believe. Uh, before we get out of here, the Harbaugh thing kind of po uh, pushed everything back, but I'll discuss this briefly, is the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore Ravens. That's going to be the first game of the day. AFC title game is at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. Uh, Nance, Romo, Wolfson uh, uh, will be doing the game, as well as Jay Feely, by the way. Shout, shout out Jay Feely. But uh, they're going to be doing the game. So... Of that game and of the last two, or the last game, I should say, the last two teams, I should say, the Lions and the 49ers, I think there's less pressure on Kansas City than all of the other teams put together. I mean, it is... The heck do they have to lose? They have the best quarterback on planet Earth. Nobody disputes that. Most, including myself, believe they have the best coach. Kelsey will see what his status is. My guess is he probably comes back to Kansas City. Because uh, you got to realize he dealt with a lot of injuries this year. We'll see if they come with greater regularity next year. Hopefully not. Knock on wood for him. But guess is Kelsey's back. The defense is going to be just as good next year because they got a lot of kids. And we assume they bring, they'll bring Chris Jones back. Rasheed Rice is an ascending number one receiver. If they lose in the AFC title game, sucks. It actually would... Tie them for the worst season in the Mahomes era, which is AFC title game loss, which because they lost in 18 to the Patriots and in 2021 against Cincinnati. Sucks, but we'll be back next year. 
We'll be back. Yeah, we got Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. Great defense. We'll be back. We'll upgrade our receiving core while we're at it. Baltimore? You better win this game. Now, I don't think the pressure's on Baltimore the way it was on Buffalo last week because Kansas City does not own Baltimore. They own Buffalo. Literally own Buffalo. It's a pathetic excuse for a rivalry. Getting a lot of pushback right now on YouTube about that, on a video I uploaded uh, yesterday, but it's, it's true. It's not a rivalry. Baltimore's got the MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson. And fair or unfair, I believe it's unfair, I think people are going to hold against Lamar if he loses. If he plays poorly, that's one thing. But Lamar could have a game where he has... 220 passing, couple touchdowns through the air. Let's say one touchdown through the air, one of the ground, and maybe an interception. And the Chiefs win 23 to 20 because I think it's going to be a low scoring game because both both defenses are fantastic. Baltimore's at home. The defense was historically great. Typically, historically great defenses are not as good the year after. Good, but not as good. Let's see the Legion of Boom. See the 85 Bears. All these components. All these situations. Baltimore's got to win. Baltimore's got to win this game. Kansas State, if they lose, okay, this is our worst year. Baltimore, it's the best year under Lamar Jackson. That's what I said about Buffalo. Like, Buffalo getting to the AFC title game would be the best year in the Josh Allen era. Win or lose, they'd be the best year in the Josh Allen era. Same can be said about Lamar Jackson. Now, the difference between Josh and Lamar is A, Lamar's better, B, and as MVPs, actually has some hardware. And uh, secondly, uh, because there's not the history between Lamar and Mahomes the way there is Allen and Mahomes. Even go to the NFC. Pressure on San Francisco. Listen, there's going to come a point in time where we're going to have to make a decision on Brock Purdy. What do we pay him? How much do we pay him? How do we structure his contract? The roster's never going to be better. I'm, I'm sorry. It, unless they just draft the way like the Rams drafted and the way the, the Lions drafted the last few years, which is well within the realm of possibility. John Lynch is a great GM. The, the, this is the best it's going to get. And by the way, pretty darn good. You just, you just saw my list. Christian McCaffrey, Fred Warner, Trent Williams, Debo Samuel. I didn't even mention Brandon Ayu, Nick Bosa, Drake Greenlaw. I mean, they got some dudes on that football team. You're at home against a team that doesn't play well outdoors. You got to win this game. Detroit, there's not the pressure on Detroit the way there is the one seeds in either conference. But it is a little, okay, we've caught fire. The whole city's behind us. It seemed like the whole NFL world is, is rooting for us to win this game. You never know when you can get back. And we're probably going to lose our offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who's brilliant this offseason. Now's the time. Now, now's the time. Jared Goff's never been better. Dan Campbell's having a great year. Defense is struggling. They'll upgrade it this offseason, my guess, just like they did last offseason. But they kind of got to capitalize now. There's a little bit of pressure. There's no pressure on Kansas City. So what they lose? Oh my God, they didn't go back to back? Newsflash. It hasn't been done in two decades since the Patriots did it. You know? Mahomes' down year is 27 touchdowns in an AFC title game appearance. And a loss to the MVP if they lose. That's the down year. So Kansas City will feel not good. It sucks to lose playoff games, especially a step away from the Super Bowl, which Kansas City's done twice, but... The organization won't be, like, crushed and devastated if they lose this game. Baltimore will. San Francisco will. Detroit probably will. The reason I say that, I absolutely think Baltimore is a better team and a better roster. Um, and while Harbaugh is no Reed, 
He's a really good coach. And while Lamar is no Mahomes, really good quarterback, two-time MVP now, we assume. But the pressure's off Kansas City. Baltimore's playing with play with pressure last week. We saw in the first half, but it felt like at halftime they adjusted to the blitz uh, that, that D'Amico Ryans was throwing at him. And it was kind of like, okay, we're, we're the better team. Let, let's, let's go take care of business. And they did. Not give me the case against Kansas City. They've been here, they've been, they've done that. They've they've tread this road in the in, in the postseason. Beat Kansas City, gotta beat him for 60 minutes, maybe plus. They have to go to overtime to do it just like Brady did in 2018 and like Burrow did in 2021. We'll see. It's gonna be a good both these games, I think, are be great. Um, the Baltimore minus three and a half line feels perfect. That feels like the perfect line. And as for Lions and Niners, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I've, I don't ever spoil my picks, uh, and I don't gamble. That is exactly why the segment is called. Yeah, betting man. If I were a betting man, <laughs> man, Detroit plus seven is the side. San Francisco minus seven? Nah. Not saying they're going to win. Seven? You tell me the roster is that big of a gap? I have a very hard time believing that. Yeah, fun weekend, though. And we'll predict it on Friday's show. And because with that, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live, like I just said, on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel, of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button down there. Helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58. So if you don't, if you have not subscribed, just take a couple seconds. Big subscribe button down there. Hit it. If you're on YouTube and you're part of the Carving Up family, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you have subscribed, thank you so much for your support. It means the world. Please, please tell everybody you know about it, your friends, your family, everybody you know. Maybe even tell your cat who's who's sleeping. Wake him up. For, well, actually, second thought, I have a cat. Um, don't wake up your cat. Wait till he's wait till he or she is done getting a get a little uh, rest time, beauty sleep. Then tell him. Tell everybody you know about. That's that's we're trying to get at. And just as importantly, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G R Y D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Great, great stuff. Very excited for Friday's show. Going to talk more about Harbaugh. Again, the news broke as we were doing the show, so I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, quick reaction on the fly. Shout out to Mike Guido for letting me know that, and I checked my phone. I'm like, yep. I don't go, listen, Guido, Guido's not going to lie to me. Guido's not going to lie to me. We differ greatly on Mahomes and Allen, but nonetheless. And the Cavs and the Warriors and the Yankees and the Red Sox. And it's like we said, it's a wonder we're friends. It really is. Guido's a great guy, though. Shout out to Guido. Uh, all right, by the way, won the 8 o'clock spot last night. Check out the 8 o'clock spot every Tuesday night at 8, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, live on the Grid Network. We will see you guys on Friday. NFL Conference Championship game predictions. More on Jim Harbaugh. Maybe we'll have more coaching hires. We'll see. Now that this dominoes fell, we'll see what happens. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence. In America, we have got to address this problem ASAP. I'll see you on Friday. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Watch out for the Chargers now. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.